Thank you, Travis. It's great to be with you today. Thank you to those who have been participating in our worship, those who have led us in our worship this morning. Appreciate all of you. Before we enter into the lesson today, I do have a couple of announcements to make. First of all, I want to say thank you. I thought spiritual enrichment was a huge success, and I am so thankful for those who worked so hard behind the scenes, uh, during the scenes, and everything else to help spiritual enrichment be what it was. In fact, I had many tell us that it was one of their favorite spiritual enrichments. Alan Eldridge from this pulpit said that it was one of the best that he had been a part of, and I appreciated those words, but it, it was such a blessing, and so I thank you, and uh, certainly we want to look forward to growing that great event next year. Then also, I want to make mention that today we have a family that has been visiting with us for quite some time that they are ready to not be visitors anymore. And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, this family has moved recently from Hattiesburg, Mississippi uh, to Sims right here uh, in our neighborhood, in our backyard. And so I love this family. I hope that you know this family. If you don't, you've got to get to know them. They are faithful they are workers, and they are just fun to be around. So I want us to welcome Stoney and Monica Browning, then Tristan, Logan, and Hayden. Now, they are in the balcony, and Tristan's not able to be with us, but can you all stand up up there? Welcome this great family. I have gotten to know them pretty well, and... They are just fun, like I said, to be around. So please get to know them even better. Also want to make mention that somebody else I would like for you to be praying for is our own Susan Thomas. Again, Susan, we've been praying for, but she recently received some news that there is a spot on her liver. And on Tuesday, I believe, she goes to find out those results. And so what I'd like to do right now is to go to the Father on behalf of Susan. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we are so thankful to you. We are so thankful for all of who you are. And Father, as the psalmist wrote, help us in this room and all the inhabitants of this earth stand in awe of you, not only today, but every day of our lives. Father, I ask you at this time to be with Susan. Father, she is such a strong person. And I am so just encouraged by her. I admire her so much. Father, she has battled through, uh, rang the bell, and, and now, Father, she has um, some concern looming over her. But, Father, what we ask is we know that you can do all things, and specifically we ask that this not be anything, that it be something on her liver that is just, nothing when she goes and talks more to the doctor. And Father, I just pray that you will walk with her every step of the way as you have and, and you promise to do. Father, in, in the same token, we continue to ask you to be with Johnny and help this spot on his pelvis be gone as well. 
Help it to be nothing, truly nothing, Father, because we know that You can do all things. Father, we're so thankful to have this time to be able to teach Your Word. I pray that You'll help me to say uh, what You want me to say, and it will be Your words they hear and not mine. Thank You for the Browning family. Thank You for all those who are here with us today. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I got a confession to make, church. I like wrestling. I've always liked wrestling. When I was a little boy, Hulk Hogan was larger than life. Andre the Giant, larger than life. And I grew up in the 1980s. And so those guys just mesmerized me. Well... Then I became a youth minister, and wrestling was probably as more popular at that time than ever, and sometimes we couldn't watch it because it got pretty rough back then, but that was in the late 90s, and then I had a son and a daughter, especially my son, and you know, it's just been something that, hey, yesterday morning I got up early and watched an event that was in Perth, Australia. Um, Yeah, I know, that's silly. But I like wrestling. And yes, I do know it's scripted. Uh, You don't have to tell me that. I already know. Um, But I admire, I guess, the, the story behind it. But you know, wrestling has been going on a long time. In fact, the word wrestle is mentioned a couple times in the Bible. In the Old Testament and in the New And so the one I want us to talk about today is found in the Old, and it's found in Genesis 32. If you will, please turn in your Bibles, your devices, whatever equipment you have to look at the Word of God today, and let's read together. Genesis 32, we're going to begin in verse 22. And he, that is Jacob, arose that night... And took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man, with a capital M in my Bible, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, that is Jacob, not uh, God, the, I gave it away, didn't I? The, the capital he did not prevail against Jacob. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? 
and he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over, Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. An interesting story. It's always been a story because, again, I've liked wrestling my, pretty much my whole life. It's always been a story that has fascinated me. But until this day, I've never preached a lesson on it. And the reason I haven't ever preached a lesson on it is because it, it was kind of, I guess, confusing to me. And I thought, well, it would be better to just stay away from it. But what I love so much about God is He is so open that He tells us all the things in Scripture we need to know. And because He is so open and He had the Old Testament written for our learning today, there's a lot of lesson. There's a lot of truth that we need to take from Genesis 32 in this wrestling match. Before we get into the lesson, how it applies to us, let me remind you that Genesis 32 isn't the first time Jacob's ever wrestled. Now, it's the first time we have the word wrestle there, but Jacob's been wrestling his whole life. In fact, Jacob came out of the womb wrestling with his brother Esau. Do you remember that he was holding on to the heel? Jacob's name literally means heel holder. Now let me tell you something interesting. I'm going to give you a little information about some wrestling today. The good guys in wrestling are called faces. And the bad guys in wrestling are called heels, of course, spelled H-E-E-L-S. Jacob held the heel. And I believe Jacob was a heel. I believe Jacob was the bad guy by the things that happened in Jacob's life. In fact, I believe he was a bad guy most of his life. If you'll recall, he takes advantage of a famished Esau to get Esau's birthright. That's a heel thing to do. He deceived his father with his mother's encouragement and assistance to receive Isaac's blessing that should have gone to Esau. Again, he started wrestling from the womb on. And Jacob is not a face. He's a heel. He's the heel holder. After this, after he gets the blessing and the birthright, Jacob enters a 20-year period of exile, leaving home. And there he went to stay with his relative Laban. You know what Jacob and Laban did? They took turns deceiving each other. Again, more bad guy type stuff to do. 
Jacob's flocks, of course, continue to multiply. He ends up with four wives, two wives and two other ladies that he had children with. And he ended up with 12 sons. Again, all these bad things going on, right? All these bad guy moves. The bad guy is the one that goes and gets the steel chair behind the rest back. The bad guy is the one that gets the interference. The bad guy is the one that puts his feet on the ropes to, to have a fake pin. Jacob was that guy. If you're going to do wrestling in the Bible, Jacob was the bad guy. He's been wrestling his whole life. His family is divided. You know, you have this big family and it should be great, but because you've got wives who are jealous and maidservants who are jealous, all this makes for rivalry. His family's divided. They constantly hurt each other. In fact, they left Joseph for dead. They sold him into slavery. It all stems from Jacob's own failure to trust in Almighty God. Jacob remains determined to seize God's gifts. And he's willing to do it by the force of the expense of others. Well, that all starts catching up with him in Genesis 32. Because whether if you think that Esau is a good guy or a bad guy, let me tell you, Esau, he may not have been the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's about to whip Jacob. I don't care what you say. He's a lot tougher than Jacob, I believe. And in Genesis 32, he's coming to town, and he's about to face Jacob. You know, it's been a long time, brother, but you took some things from me. You did some things against me, and now you want to wrestle, you want to fight, here it is. And that's how Genesis 32 is starting out. So as Jacob prepares to face his brother Esau, he stays up all night. You know what he's doing? He's scheming, because that's who he is. He ends up sending his wives and sons ahead of him. And he sits here in Genesis 32. And before he has a match with his brother, thankfully he has a match with God. Now, here's what Hosea says. Again, that word man, in my Bible, again, I know man kind man put that in there but it's a capital m and it probably is in yours if you have those type bibles the, the when when god's name is referred to it's capitalized when it's referred to him in a pronoun as in he or him it's capitalized i still do that in all my writings when i type my notes i capitalize god the he and the him right why because i'm just so familiar with it and i want to give reverence where reverence is due so the question is is this literally god Again, those are things that confuse me. But here's what Hosea says about it in Hosea chapter 12, beginning in verse 2. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. 
Here's what Hosea said. He said in verse 3, he struggled with God. In verse 4, he calls him the angel. And that's referred to most times as the angel of the Lord, which a lot of scholars will tell you is Jesus. So, when Jacob says God himself, he struggled with or wrestled with in verse uh, chapter 32, verse 30, I think it's safe to say by looking at Hosea and by looking at what Jacob said himself, the one who really wrestled with him, that we could say that he is literally wrestling with God. Was he ever going to beat God? No. You're never going to beat God. When you wrestle with God, he will always win. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But you know what Jacob did? He held on. He held on. I like to think he might have even held on to the hill. But why did he hold on to receive God's blessings? So what can we learn from this? Well, let's talk, number one, about wrestling with God. I need you to hear this right now. It's very important. Wrestling with God is not the same as fighting against God. Wrestling with God is not the same as fighting God. Let me try to explain that. When we fight with God, when we're in a fight with God, we ignore God. We disobey God. We avoid Him at all costs. When we fight with God, we do not want to do what God has asked us to do. We do our best to cut ties with Him and just go on with our lives on our own. So when we fight with God, we are most miserable. Wrestling with God is totally different. You see, Jacob did not fight with God. He wrestled with Him. When we look at Genesis 32, 22 and following, this passage gives us permission to do one thing that we probably believe that so many of us are afraid to do. When life gets hard, I believe God's given us permission to wrestle. We often believe that when we have doubt or when we have questions, it means that our faith must be lacking. Listen, on some extent that may be true. But I've seen a lot of faithful Christians, haven't you? Who are Bible class teachers or leaders in the church or just faithful as they can be. I've seen a lot of them go through struggles and wonder at times, why God? We went through fertility struggles for seven years. And in that time, I believed I, I was as faithful as the next person. 
We spent a lot of money, money we didn't have. We charged it up on credit cards because we didn't know what else to do. We thought this is God answering us. And, and, and you know, I can't promise you that in those seven times of praying that prayer multiple times a day for seven straight years, I can't promise you I didn't ever say, why, God? You see, I wasn't fighting with Him. I was wrestling with Him. And I believe we have avoided talking about that. Because I think we think if I talk about that, it causes doubt, and that means my faith is not there. Folks, my faith was there. I knew God could hear my prayers and answer them if He desired for us to have a child. But my fear was He was saying no. And so it was a wrestling match. And so I'm thankful Jacob wrestled with God. Because I think sometimes we all do. It doesn't mean our faith is lacking. The reality is it takes faith to wrestle with God. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, one version puts it this way. Dear brothers and sisters... When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete Needing nothing. Do you have struggles that you have asked God to take away and you're still wrestling with this? I want you to remember and I want me to remember that strength is gained in the struggle. Jacob gained strength during the struggle. When we're willing to wrestle with God through hard seasons of our lives and things that hurt and things are hard to understand, that's when we grow. You think Jacob was the only one that wrestled? Abraham wrestled with God about his nephew Lot's bad decisions. Moses wrestled with God about the rebellious Israelites. Job wrestled with God about his suffering. The prophet Samuel wrestled with God about Saul, who would become king. David wrestled with God about King Saul, who was trying to kill him. The Israelites in captivity wrestled with God about their future. Nehemiah wrestled with God about the condition of the exiles returning to Israel. Daniel wrestled with God on how to advise pagan kings. The psalmists often wrestled with God about His absence in their lives, or at least they thought. The prophets wrestled with God about injustice and unrighteousness. The writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, wrestled with God about life. 
Mordecai and Esther, Esther wrestled with God about the looming genocide of God's people, and we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? As a faithful servant of God. As a faithful Christian servant of God. Because we live in this imperfect world, and because we do not have direct contact with God, yes, He has spoken through His Word, yes, He speaks through answered prayers, but He doesn't talk to me, and He doesn't talk to you. Because we live in that time, there's obviously going to be times of wrestle. But God understands that. Wrestling with God from time to time needs to happen. Why? If I look at Genesis 32, so that blessings can come from the results of the match. Point number two this morning is this. It's very important. If you don't get any of them, get this one. Whenever you're wrestling with God, don't let go. Don't let go. Go back to Genesis 32 again, beginning in verse 25. Now when he, God, saw that he did not prevail against him, Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go. He's telling Jacob, let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob, and he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. (laughs) Jacob's words. Jacob the hill. His words must become our words. I will not let you go. Even in the wrestling. In fact, especially in the wrestling. Are you wrestling today with God over an issue in your life? Are you wrestling today with God over a dear friend or a dear loved one? Are you wrestling with God over some questions, some concerns, some heartache, some setbacks, or some circumstances? If so, make up your mind right now. No matter what or how much you wrestle. They wrestled all night. But no matter how much or how often or how long you're wrestling, take Jacob's advice and say, I'm not letting go. It's when we let go and when we quit wrestling with God and we start fighting with God. As long as we're holding on, we are not fighting. We are wrestling. I won't let go of God's character Because God is always good. I won't let go of God's Word because His Word is always true. I won't let go of God's faithfulness because He's promised He will never leave me or forsake me. I won't let go of God, period. No matter how I feel, no matter how bad things look, or no matter what others say, 
like Jacob. I won't, I will declare, I won't let go until you bless me. Because we know at the end of the struggle, there's always a blessing coming. Point number three. God is the majority, but Goliath isn't. That one's got your attention, probably. Hear me out. In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with God. And listen. He said, Jacob, I'm blessing you. Your name's going to be Israel because you wrestled with God and prevailed, right? But, but let me just tell you, he didn't pin God. In fact, all God did was touch his hip and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. That was just a touch. Okay? Jacob would not ever pin God. God cannot be beaten. So guess what? God is always, no matter what we're wrestling, no matter who we're wrestling with, no matter who our tag team partners are, God will always be the majority. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David doesn't wrestle but he sure does go to fight. This time, though, he's not wrestling or fighting God. He is fighting the enemy, Goliath. And I know we know this story, but hear me out. Who is Goliath? He is a champion. You know what that means? He's never been beaten. In fact, it literally, it means he stood in the place between two armies. You got two armies, and here stood the champion. It's almost like cross this line, you beat me, you'll be the champion. But right now, I am the champion of this world. He was over nine feet tall. His armor weighed around 125 pounds. He threw a spear in which the head alone of the spear weighed 15 pounds. Now go get you a 15-pound dumbbell, put it on a, a pole, a, a shovel handle, and see if you can throw it for accuracy. Goliath not only had all that, but one point I think we miss sometimes, he also had an armor bearer that walked ahead of him with a shield. He's got all this, nine feet tall champion, 125 pounds of armor, 15 pounds spearhead and all that, but he's also got an armor bearer walking ahead of him, shielding anything off. Was Goliath confident? You better believe it. I believe he was even cocky. He was ready. Ready to fight anything Israel sent. You know why? Because Goliath's whole life, because he's nine feet tall and he's all these things, he's always been the majority. Always. Always been the majority. Who's going to fight me? Who's going to prevail against me? I am the man. I am the one that will win. You, you plus all your army, I'm still the majority. His mindset. And then you had David, the youngest son of Jesse. Supply carrier to his brothers, a shepherd. The men around him in Israel's camp, when he starts seeing all these things and taking notice of it, they would ask him, have you seen the giant? In other words, are you crazy? Have you seen the giant? Have you seen how big that guy is? He was only a boy, according to King Saul. He had no armor. He had no spear. He had a sling and five stones. It was Goliath versus David in the main event 
It was Philistia versus Israel in the main event. Goliath had to be the majority and David the underdog, right? We've heard that our whole lives. You see football teams, in fact, we were one of them. We were running over everybody and the first round opponent told us, they said in the paper, hey, we just got to go out and fight this Goliath. I told our team, we are not Goliath, we're David. Because David was the majority. Goliath was the underdog. Don't ever tell that story again thinking that Goliath was the favorite. Goliath was the majority. Goliath was the underdog because David took God into that fight. Goliath, this confident, cocky champion, he ridiculed and cursed David and Israel for insulting him with this boy. Am I a dog, he said. Here's what David said. Verse 45, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Goliath was the underdog because God is always the majority. David never let go of God. Even when he wrestled with sin, he still never let go of God. That's why he begged him to create in him a clean heart. On this day, he didn't let go and God prevailed. Jacob didn't let go, and he was blessed. All that hill stuff that he had done, all those women, all that stealing, all those deceptive things, all that that he happened, those 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. And even though there was a Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi, where all the high priests came from, God said, if there's ever a change in the law, there, or a change in the priesthood, there'll be a change in the law. And lo and behold, the high priest that we have today, Jesus Christ, he didn't come out of Levi at all. He came out of Jonah. Judah. And so that being said, We've got to understand that God is always in control. As long as we never let go of God, we will never be the underdog because God is the majority. So it brings us to our close. That is a picture of an emperor moth. And I want to tell you a story about the emperor moth. 
There was a man who was walking in the woods one day, and he found an emperor moth cocoon. He thought it was so neat, like a lot of us would. I remember finding cocoons and stuff. I thought that was a neat thing. He took it home so that he could watch this amazing moment of this moth come out of this cocoon. And one day, sure enough, as he's watching, there's a small opening starting to appear. And the man sat, and because he's thinking, any moment now this moth's going to come out, and it's going to be this amazing thing. But he sat and he watched this moth for several hours as it struggled and struggled and struggled to force its body through that little hole. The moth eventually seemed to stop making any progress. It's as if he had gotten as far as he could and couldn't go any further. He's just going to die in this cocoon. So the man, in his kindness, decided to help the moth out. So he took a pair of scissors and carefully snipped off the remaining bit of the cocoon. Well, sure enough, out came the moth. He emerged easily. But the man noticed immediately something wasn't right. The moth had a swollen body and small, shriveled wings. The man continued to watch the moth Because he expected that at any moment the wings are going to enlarge and expand so that they'd be able to support the body, which he assumed would happen in time. But it never happened. In fact, that little moth spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. That moth was never able to fly. What the man in his kindness and haste did not understand was that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the moth to get through the tiny opening were nature's way of forcing fluid from the moth's body into its wings so that it would be ready for flight once it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. Freedom and flight for the moth would only come After the struggle, by depriving the moth of the struggle, the man inadvertently deprived the moth of its ability to fly. Sometimes struggles, or as we're saying today, wrestling matches, are exactly what we need in our lives. If we were able to go through life without any obstacles, we would undoubtedly rob ourselves of valuable lessons that teach us what we need to learn and help us gain strength and skills that we need to thrive. Don't get defeated and too hung up on the struggles. 
In fact, during the, the struggles, during the wrestling, no matter what, never let go. After all, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Today, have you let go? Have you let go because of the struggle? Today, it's my encouragement to you. It's my prayer for you. Get back in the match. Get back in the fight. You can't do it alone. You will alone, I alone will never be the majority. I'll always be an underdog to Satan and to this life. We can't do it for you. We can't go and cut your cocoon and make your struggles go away and take them all away because if we did that, we would hurt you the rest of your life. If you are struggling, if you are fighting, it means that Satan's mad at you and you can keep wrestling as long as you hold on. Today, if you've let go, repent and hold on again. Today, if you hadn't entered the match, it's time to enter. It's time to leave sin behind. It's time to confess the greatest name of all, the only name by which we can be saved. And it's time to be immersed in water, contacting the life-saving, life-giving blood of Jesus Christ to come up out of that water, walking in newness of life. The main event, the main event, Depends on you. As long as we have God, we'll always have the majority. If you have a need, won't you come right now together? We stand and sing.